Hi, I'm Will, and this is my wife, Dallas. Hi! And welcome to another special episode of Not the Beginning, where I've read a romance novel while Dallas takes a little break in between books of The Wheel of Time. On this episode, we will dive in and discuss Ever After Always, the third book in Chloe Lee's adult romance series, The Bergman Brothers. So if you have not read Ever After Always, please proceed with caution. Morning. This podcast will not be suitable for younger audiences. I don't give out kisses, Four Eyes, she said over her shoulder. But I'll buy you an apology beer after this, then we'll see what I'm willing to part with. To this day, Freya swears she was trying for the goal, which was, you know, 20 yards to the right of my head. But we both know that's not what happened. The truth is, we both learned a lesson that day. Aiden can only push so far. Freya can only take so much before something breaks. Badly. Today's summary will be taken from the blurb on the back of the book itself. Aiden, I've spent 12 years loving Freya Bergman, and 12 lifetimes won't be enough to give her everything she deserves. She's my passionate, tender-hearted wife, my best friend, and all I want is to make her happy. But the one thing that will make her happiest is the one thing I'm not sure I can give her. A baby. With the pressure of providing and planning for a family, my anxiety is at an all-time high, and I find myself pulling away, terrified to tell my wife how I'm struggling. But when Freya kicks me out, I realize that pulling back has turned into pushing too far. Now it's the fight of a lifetime to save our marriage. Freya. I love my cautious, hardworking husband. He's my partner and my best friend, the person I know I can count on the most. Until one day, I realize the man I married is nowhere to be found. Now Aiden is quiet and withdrawn, and as the months wear on, the pain of our growing distance becomes too much. As if weathering marriage counseling wasn't enough, we're thrown together for an island getaway to celebrate my parents' many years of perfect marriage while ours is on the brink of collapse. Despite my meddling siblings and a week in each other's constant company, the trip somehow gets us working through the trouble in paradise. I just can't help worrying when we leave the paradise and return to the real world. Will trouble find us again? Ever After Always is a marriage in crisis opposite to tract romance about a sensitive, fierce-loving woman and her resilient husband who has an anxiety disorder. Complete with island vacation antics, a sibling prank gone wrong, and a steamy slow burn, this standalone is the third in a series of novels about a Swedish-American family of five brothers, two sisters, and their wild adventures as they each find happily ever after. Okay, here we are again. You read another romance novel. I read another romance novel, and this episode is crazy delayed. Yeah, Because we have a lot going on. We, or we had a lot. We had on. a lot going on. We no longer have a lot going on. Yeah. But we did move. We moved. We went to Europe. We went to lots of different weddings. Yep. I have, I guess we have nephews now. We're married, so they're your nephews too. Yeah, we have nephews now. There's... A lot is go- a lot has been going on. Yeah. And in the move, it took us a while to figure out a soundproofing situation. It did. Which is why the episode is so yep. delayed. Our car broke down. Our car broke down. <laughs> On the highway. Coming That's, back from one of the aforementioned weddings. Yup, that'll be a time. That'll, that'll be a time to talk about when we're, you know, 80 and never going to go anywhere again. Yeah. Because, well, I guess one of those things might be true now. I don't ever want to leave. I'm not going anywhere. You're never leaving again? Never leaving again. You're staying no. in the house? Yep, staying in the house. There's okay. going to be a shut-in. Okay, cool. I definitely don't have, like, things to do, places to be nephews to see now again yeah like my sister had twins that's the thing that happened recently yeah like this last weekend at the time of recording yeah so yeah wild yeah. but uh i read this book a month ago <laughs> <laughs> i first read this book several years ago and then read it again a month ago yeah so um it was interesting i i feel like i don't know reaction wise i actually put it about in the middle of the three. Yeah. Like, I had a much stronger reaction to the first book, and I didn't have that much of a reaction to the third one. I had a medium reaction to this. I expected that just because of how you, like, a, a good part of your reactions in the first book were Aiden. So That's I true. was wondering. That's very true. Where I was wondering where it would fall. Yeah. You I, did not have a good impression of Aiden when you read the first book. No. Nor do a lot of people. So That's how fair. have your opinions changed? Um, I The book does a good job at making him seem human, and which I think is one of the like flaws in this book, because quality-wise, I think I do put this book at the bottom yeah, of the three that I've read so far. That's fair. So, you know, a really long list there. But 
At least in the series. That's true. You have read five romance novels now. I have read five romance novels. And I will say I am enjoying the series much more than I enjoyed the standalones. Red, White, and Royal Blue was good. I feel like it was a bold choice making that be the first one that I read, though. Really? Yeah. Not because it's bad, but because when I was reading it, I had to overcome a lot of like, okay, this is just romance novel stuff. So having my favorite one of all time be the first one that you read. For something that takes me like two hours to read, yeah. You do read fast. More because like romance novels, in in a way that I think fantasy novels don't, they kind of hit you in the face with tropes like the whole time. It is built on tropes. Right. And so a lot of me reading Red, White, and Royal Blue was, oh, look, here's this trope. Oh, look, here's this other trope. Oh, look, here's here's yet another one. Yeah. Whereas the series, one, I think... Chloe Lee does a much better job at not doing that than other romance authors that I've read. All two of them. Oh, all th- three of them. You've read three. Uh, two other ones. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So like Casey McQuiston and whoever wrote the witch book. India Holden. They didn't do as good a job at kind of playing with the tropes, I don't think. That's fair. And part of that's just length of time. Chloe Lee has much longer time frames to deal with. Yeah, her books are longer, right. at least than the Pirate Witch book. Yeah, and so... Red, White, and Royal Blue is actually longer than most of these. Yeah, but it's not a sequel, right? Yeah. That book doesn't have the benefit of knowing that there will be other books later. To explore some of the same characters right. at least a little bit. Or even to explore different tropes. Yeah. If it's gonna do something, it has to do it in that book, and it has to resolve in that book. Yeah. And I, I mean, all of these stories do resolve in their own books. Yes, but it feels like the tropiness is toned down. That is fair. Not bashing Red, White, and Royal Blue or the witch book, which I you know, admittedly think is the weakest of the books that I've read so far. I am still surprised about that. I was kind of thinking that that one was going to be... I was thinking that too. Because it's got like, it's, there's flying houses and pirates it was, and witches and there's like there's there was a fantastical element to there it. was but it felt too like early 2000s internet random that's why i like it that's why it's i don't delightfully like it. absurd for somebody who is like chronically online like me you'd think <laughs> that would resonate with me more and it just doesn't because even as a child in the early 2000s i thought that was dumb it also it has like a, the historical aspect of delightful absurdity like it Reminds me a little bit of the importance of being earnest in that sure. just like delightful absurdity. Yeah. But we're not talking about that. We're book. not talking about that book. We're talking about this one. And so I was saying that, you know, it makes Aiden feel a lot more human, which is a strength in this book, in that I think Aiden is a very well developed character. But the problem that they face in their marriage comes at the detriment of Freya seeming like not a real person. Yeah. I do have to admit, this is not my favorite. Of the books. I and can, having reread it, I think it is still... I mean, I love still this. Still not a favorite. <laughs> it's still not a favorite. I, I love this series. Sucks. You hate it so much. <laughs> I don't hate it. I do really, like, enjoy this entire series. I think, for me, one of the struggles that this book has in making it and why it gets pushed to the bottom is I'm not a big fan of the marriage and trouble trope. That's fair. Which is weird because I do love a second chance romance. That is a little weird. But in a second chance romance, they have broken up. Yeah. And there has been a time of separation and then they're coming back together several years after their breakup usually. So it's like they're re-falling in love after time. They're different people. Okay. And with Marriage and Trouble, it's just, I think part of it is it's just a little bit too real and I read to escape. That's fair. This did feel, as little as I liked what, Chloe at least does with Freya in this book. It did feel like the conflict was the most real. Yeah. You can really understand what's going on here. Yeah. And that is a strength of it. And that is why I still enjoy this book so much more than other romance novels. But in comparison to the other books in the series, because it is the most real out of them, it's not as... It's like a cathartic read. It's not an enjoyable read. It's not the pure adorableness that was Ren and Frankie. Sure. It's not the, like, you kind of want to, like, take the Willa's head and shake her because, like, what are you doing? Yeah. It's just a lot of real emotion. Yeah. Yeah. 
No, I, I agree. And, and I, that's part of why I actually enjoyed it. Um, and why I think it got more of a reaction out of me than book two. Yeah. Because it just felt more coherent. Yeah. Not that, again, not that the other ones didn't feel coherent, but it felt more like, okay, this is like actual character. Like the, the characters felt more real than like, okay, well, these, these are just kind of a collection of tropes you dumped into a body. And then here's a bunch of stuff about a character to make you fall in love with them, like Ren. Right. Which, like, it's hard not to fall in love with Ren. You gotta love Ren. Yeah, and I think typically that is kind of my my dislike. I don't know. Dislike is a bit strong, but, like, the reason I don't particularly enjoy romance novels... The reason you're not really drawn to it as yeah, a genre. ...is because really often, I think, the characters are just tropes that get poured into a body mm-hmm. instead of being developed kind of organically. Which is not to say that that doesn't happen in fantasy. It definitely yeah. does happen in fantasy, but one of the reasons I like The Wheel of Time is it kind of starts out that way, and then you realize, oh, he did that to prove a point. Yeah. Where later it's like, okay, these tropes, they're not they are not the tropes, they're burdened by the tropes. Right, like Rand is the chosen one, but he's right. burdened by that knowledge, not right. really, and like very deeply burdened, not kind of in the way of like... Damn, I guess I'm the chosen one. Well, time to go have an adventure. Right. Like, Rand's angst feels really earned. Because, <laughs> like, being the dragon just fucking sucks. <laughs> I mean, he is also just real angsty and, like, sad boy hours. Well, he's a why, teenager. <laughs> why Death Cat for Cutie is his, is his yes. playlist. Yes. Sad um, boy hours. But anyway, in, in this book, it didn't feel that way. It didn't feel like they were... It felt like they were burdened by the tropes in, in yeah. the same way that... Robert Jordan makes his characters feel burdened by the tropes that they live. Which I, you know, lots of credit to Chloe, Chloe Lee's for that. Because it's a short book for me. Yeah, for you. <laughs> it's like half the size of a book I normally read. Uh, yeah. It's the size of a novella for me. Um, Novellas are 80 pages, not 360. <laughs> yeah. Um, That's just a book. Yeah. Yeah. Shh, little baby book. <laughs> I think this is one of the shorter ones. Maybe. In the series. Yeah. But anyway, so what I was saying is, is you know, I really liked Aiden's kind of struggle with, like, anxiety and wanting to feel like he has to provide. I really did enjoy the anxiety um, representation in this book. Yeah, and, like, I'm not an anxious person, but I definitely understood, like, his pressure to feel like he has to be the one to provide. Yeah, and that's... One, I'm a man in the United States, and two, that's kind of how it is in our relationship. I'm the one who earns a lot more of our money. Our lifestyle is funded by my job. Not that you don't contribute. You do. Yeah. But. No, you're the stable one out of the two of us. So. So there is just kind of inherently some more pressure on me to continue that. Yeah. And if I were to do something risky, like Aiden's doing in starting a business, Mm -hmm. I might get really anxious about it. And I am aspects. very anxious about being an author, yeah. which is why I identify with Aiden. When I, I remember reading this book for the first time, and it was one of the first books that I read that really like went hard on the anxiety representation. Uh-huh. And so it was one of the first books that I read that I felt like seen in. Okay. Which was nice. Like I really enjoyed the anxiety representation, even if Aiden's anxiety isn't a mirror of mine. Yeah. It functionally acts very differently for him than it does for me. But some of the things that I struggle with my, with my anxiety, I saw reflected in Aiden. Yeah. And like, he does get really anxious because he's starting this new business venture that he's not really telling Freya about, which is where his problem comes in. Right. But like, I get that. Right. I just launched a new career of being an author. Like I just started a business. I totally get it. Yeah. 100%. And unfortunately for this book, all of the stuff that makes Aiden's conflict really good is kind of inversely mirrored in Freya, where it's the more I think about it, the less good I think it is, where Freya is not understanding of where Aiden's coming from, partially because she doesn't have all the information, but she's just not reacting in a way that feels consistent with how a real person would be reacting to this. That is... On the inverse side of the anxiety representation, like, I enjoy how well Aiden's anxiety is written. I do not like 
the representation of the people surrounding him in terms of the anxiety. Even if with their couple's therapist, she just tends to go like, oh, yeah, you have anxiety, whatever. Let's play Twister. You you have anxiety. Don't worry about it. Which is just not how that works. Yeah. We'll get to the therapist because I hate the fucking therapist. (laughs) So much. Yeah. But the, the Freya stuff was like, she was angry with Aiden, but she wasn't doing it seemed like she wasn't doing any work to try and actually understand him yeah she was just annoyed with him for being away instead of you know doing things that you have to do in a marriage like understand why the other person's acting a certain way right like not jumping to conclusions like all that all the stuff that comes with being like in a stronger marriage and like a 10-year marriage right it's not like they're new at it yeah. Like, if we did the, that, it would be kind of understandable, because we've we haven't only been, married for that long. Yeah, we've only been married for, like, two-ish years. Yeah, how dare you be anxious, ah. ah. <laughs> um, yeah, it just didn't feel like Freya, like, all the Bergmans, to some extent. I get the rest of the Bergmans, because Aiden hides it very well. Aiden hides it very well, but I even, even so, all of the Bergmans seemed like they just lacked some sort of emotional te- intelligence in this book. Except for Alex. Like, all of the brothers were like, hey, you just need to get your shit together. Great. Elid was like, you just need to be better or something. I don't honestly remember what that whole thing was yeah. with Elid. But Alex was the only one who was like, yeah, sometimes shit's hard. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Papa Bergman's been through a time. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, he was the only one of them in a series where the previous two books kind of go through a lot of lengths to show that like this is a family with higher than average emotional intelligence and it's interesting especially now that i've read further books that you have not read but aiden's not the only one in this series that has like very serious and severe anxiety Uh oliver does too yeah but we don't really see him a whole lot in this book. And I think no, it, it would have benefited from a little bit more of like Aiden Oliver one-on-one time. Maybe. Cause but that's hard to do when you kidnap somebody. <laughs> they do kidnap him. Like, what the hell? <laughs> like, hey, this guy's this guy's uh, having a time, clearly, because his marriage is in trouble and you're going to kidnap him. Fantastic decision making there. Listen, they're not... Oh, they're not one for nuance, the Bergman clan. No. I love them so much. I would, I wish they were real and that they could adopt me into their fold like they did Rooney, but they are not really a nuanced bunch. Mm. Yeah, that is. As a whole, like each individual Bergman has their nuance, but when you get them all together in a room, they're just like. Yeah, Bergman. Yeah. And they see it like this is the one way that we see things as a family. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about the plot because we've talked a lot about kind of what happens and some strengths and some weaknesses, but there is a plot to this book. There is. So they're in trouble. Yeah. It was set up a little bit in the end of the second book when Frankie goes to kind of grovel, I guess, and get Ren back. Aiden is also at the... A-frame because Freya kicked him out. Yeah. So it starts with Freya crying and drinking wine with her cats named Horseradish and Relish? Was that the other one? I don't remember what they... It was two condiments. And I must say, any food is a good name for a cat. Yes. Excellent. It remains true here. It remains true here. You could name a cat Mustard and you'd be like, oh yeah, I'm Mustard. (laughs) Or Ketchup. Ketchup is great. Ketchup is a great name. Horseradish is also great. Horseradish is a good name. Relish. Yeah. Mayonnaise. Yep. All of them are good. So Freya's, you know, into the wine and Aiden comes back. Yeah. Mostly because, you know, Frankie's at the A-frame with Ren now and I would not want to be there reunited. No. No, no. That's not how reuniting couples in romance novels. You don't want to be there Uh, when a couple reunites in a romance novel. Freya is also talking to her best friend who seems like just a delightful person. Yeah, I don't like her. Who, you know, definitely isn't a caricature at all. No, yeah, I don't really like her all that much. Yeah, I don't she's think we're like necessarily Aiden. supposed to. I hope not. Because her whole thing is, wow, Aiden sucks. He's so awful, but you should stay with him. Yeah. Like, what the fuck? Like, you're friends with both of them. Like, have a little bit of understanding. 
Because the issue wasn't that we're talking about the issue again, and that's fine. That's what this podcast is. The issue with Freya and Aiden wasn't really that Aiden wouldn't tell Freya what he was doing. That was an irritant. It did not make it better. But he said it was work, and it was work. He just wouldn't tell her exactly what. And the pro- the issue was that he was withdrawing from her. Right. And it was making her feel unloved, which is very fair. Yeah. But... And so the, the best friend is like, yeah, he's a liar. Like, chill out a little bit. Yeah, like, I get the, like... She's, she seemed, and with no evidence, she seemed like a very toxic positivity person, but, like, turned up to 11. And I can kind of see Freya being friends with that kind of person. Because Freya also seems like that a little bit. Yeah. Which is part of the problem, where, like, she doesn't really understand how people with, like, chronic mental illness can just never get better. Would you think that she would understand that? She's got two siblings with autism. A sibling with undiagnosed ADHD that is not really confirmed, but is sort of confirmed. And then Oliver and his anxiety. So, like, you got yeah. you got a handful of mental illnesses in the Bergman clan. Yeah. But. Who knows? Anyway, Aiden comes home, right? Yes. <laughs> Back to the plot. Back to the plot. Yeah, Aiden comes home. And, you know, they sort of fight. They sort of don't. She it's watches him tense. jack off in the shower. Yeah. But not to completion. <laughs> he gives up because what the fuck? <laughs> this book has so many just like bruh moments. Like why Why is there a scene of him jacking off in the shower but not finishing? I don't know if finishing would make it better or worse, but it needed to go in one direction. <laughs> yeah, it was a little bit of an awkward scene. Bruh. Yeah, there's, there's some bruh moments. More than a few. I would say... A good 60% of the flags that I did in this book were just me going, bruh. Yeah. Yeah. I can see all the green flags on the book. Is that what you thought was bruh? Because I did it in one color. And I don't think it was green. It was like orange. No, it was green. Oh, was it? Yeah. Oh, well, a good 60% of those are moments where I was very confused as to why this was written. Yeah, all of the, the dark green flags are flags from you. And it were... It, it was times where I was like, I don't know why he flagged this, so I'm going to leave it as green. If sometimes I could see, like, why you flagged it, I flagged it in a corresponding color. Of, yeah. Like, oh, this is a really good quote, or, like, this is a plot point we should talk about. But, yeah, no, there was uh, wow. some solid bruh moments. Why? Like, I know it's a romance book, and it's not the most tame romance book, but there's some, like, weird sex stuff going on in this book. Okay. Just, I, you know, it's been a month since I've read it, so I don't really remember <laughs> everything. But I just remember thinking, like, why why is this book that is about two people who are not having sex talking about some, like, very specific sex? Like, there was stuff about sex between the Bergman parents, and I'm just like... I don't remember that. <laughs> it wasn't, oh, like, Oh, right, it was when they were all like, let's give our parents some Let's give our parents some, some alone time in the hotel so they can fuck. Like... What the fuck? <laughs> I mean, to be fair, though, they were going on a giant family vacation for like their 40th billion anniversary. So still a weird thing for kids to say. You're not wrong. <laughs> That's an exemplary of the bruh. Yeah, no, they're very, uh, they're very comfortable with each other. The Bergmans. I guess so. Yeah. Aiden comes back. They, you know, don't it's, do anything it's, together. It's tense. They... Have lots of tense moments. And then Aiden suggests going to couples therapy. So they go to couples therapy. Yep. And then... Their therapist is the worst. Then there's a Bergman family dinner and uh, the vacation is announced. So then they continue to go to therapy. Their therapist has explicitly told them they're not supposed to have sex. Yep. And so... Which even as I was reading that, I was like, okay, what? This just exists to be a premise for the book. No, that sounds like a thing a therapist oh, would it, say it to a couple. Oh, it definitely sounds like a thing a, ther- a couple's therapist could say. But reading it, I was still like, this only exists as a premise for the book. I mean, yeah, that's how plotting a novel works. So, <laughs> <laughs> sometimes you need things to happen just because plot, and you have to find a reason for it to be logical. Taviran. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but this isn't a fantasy, so you got to find a semi-plausible reason for things to happen. Yeah. They go on vacation. There's a foul-mouthed parrot that 
seems to only be foul-mouthed towards Aiden, which we later find out is because Oliver has been training it to uh, listen to rap lyrics and quote them back to Aiden, which is hysterical. Yep. That is a great prank. That is a good prank. I like prank. it better than just... There is this weird micro-trope in romance novels, because this isn't the first one I've read. Or it was the first one I've read, but it's not the only romance novel that I've read where there is a foul-mouthed bird. Like, Okay. It's a weird micro-trope in romance. It's there to add comedy. I always laugh. Some people don't like the microtrope. I think it's funny, but it's even more funny when your brother-in-law is training it to quote. That does add to it, yes. Rap lyrics back at you as a prank. Like, if it's just the bird happens to be talking dirty to everyone who passes, it's like, okay, where? who taught this bird, though? We get the answer of who taught the bird. We do. And the answer is Oliver. Yes, I do wonder how he taught the bird that quickly. Like they they arrive like novel. they arrive like a day after everybody else, but yeah. still, goddamn the power of Oliver Bergman. Yeah, that's why I, I love guess. Oliver. He's one of my favorites. I can't no. wait for you to read his book. Is he? He's not next, is he? No, he's the fifth. Book. The fifth. Okay. It's the uh, enemies to lovers soccer team ah. co captains. Okay, cool quality. Cool, but yeah, yeah. They're, they're at the beach. Various things happen at the beach. They fight. Then they not fight, and then, then they the, fight, and, and they not fight. And then they not fuck. They're fucking. But also... They're having sex. There's yeah, just... They're just not... There's just no not, penetration. There's no penetration. <laughs> but <laughs> sex doesn't have to be penetrated no. for it to be sex. No. But for two people who usually do, if you're not, you're probably not considering it fucking. It's still sex, though. <laughs> that's what the therapist says when they that's, get back. That's not what I've been saying, though. <laughs> I've been saying they didn't fuck. Yes, that's true. But yeah, they do have some adjacent. Yes, fucking. I guess it and is, then, it, they come right up to the line. Basically, they do. And then Oliver and Vigo pull an admittedly and knock very not well thought out prank. Knocking in off which a they're cliff. on a hiking trail and they hop out as a clown and. Aiden falls off a cliff and breaks his arm. Yep. And this is the one instance in this, as as my reread, you can start to see the low levels of anxiety coming up in Oliver. Because you can start to see him spiraling when he realizes, like, how well, like, ill thought out this prank was. I mean, it's not, I wouldn't call that spiraling because he almost killed a guy. (laughs) But fine <laughs> it's not spiraling if it makes sense yes but i can see the panic attack brewing underneath sure which was i didn't catch it on the first read because i didn't really yeah the anxiety representation and oliver wasn't explicit and i guess that's sort of a spoiler but whatever <sighs> i'm guessing it doesn't take very far into the fifth book to find it out no it doesn't it's pretty much like page one i have anxiety yeah so yeah, they, they knock him off cliff, then they come back, and work stuff still happens, and Freya's like, meh, work. All the while, there's this, like, old janitor. Yeah. At his work. There's this, like, sagely old janitor that Aiden's been talking to, and earlier in the book, he talks at length about how his dad left him and his mom. Because his dad was an alcoholic. Yeah, his dad was an alcoholic. And, and Aiden and grew up impoverished there's a lot of like food insecurity and whatnot going on with and if you're listening to us talk about this and this sagely old janitor and you've thought to yourself i bet that's his dad you'd be correct and it is totally totally unnecessary why did that get added into this book that i'm not sure of i think it was to add conflict and it did add some good conflict in terms of like it added like the. I only... actually liked that as the if that had been what the third act conflict was and not them getting into another fight, I would have really it. I would have enjoyed it. Like there is no third act breakup in this book. They're married. They're married, <laughs> but there is still a third act. I'm gonna have a fight and storm away, and yeah, it's after Aiden has a panic attack realizing that the sagely old janitor who's been giving him marriage advice is his dad. Right. And it's, it, it's I don't know if it's annoying or not, but it's like the only time Freya actually understands that like, yeah, he's going to have a reaction to this. Yeah. And she is 
it, it's one of those moments where it shows that how her growth in this series, yeah, but in it this, also, or in this book, it also doesn't though. That's the problem with it because she's reacting well to an acute event, not an elongated period of stress. Showing her growing in a way that we don't have any reason to believe she lacked before. Except that it's very explicitly, like, in Aiden's internal monologue, he's never allowed Freya to see one of these acute events of his before. So this is the first time she's ever seeing a panic attack of his. Yes. And, and so... She's reacting well to a panic attack, but again, it's it's kind of, like, the thing that was causing their problem wasn't... Panic attack. ...one thing happening. It was a... It was an elongated period where where... Aiden was feeling more stressed. Yeah. And I think this, that moment was supposed to be her showing her growth. And I think it did to an extent. It didn't fully, I'm not fully convinced at how much Freya actually grew in this book. Right. But. And, and that's kind of another flaw. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm kind of trashing this book, but like, it, you know, it's cause it got a reaction out of me and it's kind of because Aiden is just so clearly in the wrong that there was really nothing that could have been written in this scenario where Freya would have realistically been wrong without her being a monster. There needed to have been something else going on with her that was contributing to this, yeah. not just... Not like just she wanted a baby. Right, which is where the actual conflict comes in. Aiden recovers from his panic attack. They go home and he sees that she's taken... She's gone back on her birth control. Yeah. Which, like, bruh. <laughs> Chill out a little bit. I uh, know I'm broing Freya. Oh, yeah. But also, like, yeah. You've been, like, hounding Aiden this entire time about him doing things to prevent you from being stressed out. And then you're going to go and start taking the pill again? Yeah. Like, yeah. It's That's one of those things that, like, you you sit down and you think, you're like, I think that I should go back on the pill right. because of these reasons. Not, I've it's, already done it. Yeah, it's one of those things in a marriage where... Like, even if there had been a packet of pills on the counter and none of them had been taken, and then right. she could, he could have... That would have been, like, she could have yeah. been like, why do you have pills? Like, I was going to talk to you tonight about me possibly going back on them. This right. was my... It, it's one of those things in a marriage not, I've already where, decided to do it. Yeah. It's definitely one of those things in a marriage where it's like, you own yourself, but you have a lot of responsibility to the person that you've shared your life with and are building your life with to, like, communicate things that you're going to do that will dramatically change your life. Especially if one of those things is something that they can't do on their own. Freya can't have a baby by herself. She could... I'm not saying that, you know, single parents can't exist, but, like, the the sperm has to come from somewhere. There is another person involved. And so when you're married, that other person involved may or may not be your spouse. Right. And if you're going to go either go off of your pills or go back on your pills and you're married, you need to talk about it. She didn't owe Aiden a say in the decision. She owed him knowledge of the decision. Yeah, she could have just been like, I don't think that I am ready to carry a child when our marriage has just started to finally get back to what it was. I'm going back on the pill. She has every right to make decisions about her own body for herself. But in this instance, where it's something that involves both of them. And it is something that... She owes him just the knowledge of it. It is something that, especially if she's been yelling at him... For the entire book about not including her in decisions. Yeah. And now it would be different, like, if we had any reason to believe that this was an abusive marriage. One, there wouldn't be a romance book written about it. Well, it's an entire... It wouldn't happen happen 80% of the way into a book. It also wouldn't be something Chloe Lee's has written, which is why I enjoy her writing, because she's not writing toxic books. There are... It's not my vibe. If you want to read toxic bully romances go for it but that's not me and that's not this podcast we have no reason to believe that freya has like a legitimate reason to be afraid of telling aiden no other than like an anxiety response but that's not the kind she's afraid of making him anxious and more stressed which is literally the entire 
reason that Aiden has been keeping his own anxiety. Right. He's like, I don't want to stress Freya out with my stress. Right. And actually talking about it, I've realized what would be, what would have been the better plot for Freya is she needed to want to change careers to something either where she had to start over or a lot lower paid. Because then Aiden's anxiety is balanced against actual real more heightened pressure. Yeah. Where like she's not, she's trying to do something that is causing him to be even more anxious without, maybe without realizing it, that could be her flaw. Where like she's not, she is talking about how she wants to do all of this stuff that will cause him to have to work harder in, in order for them to be able to have the same right. lifestyle, which is something that she wouldn't think about because she didn't grow up in poverty. Right. And that would have made it a lot more even. It would have made Freya's But, stuff... like, Freya got a promotion. She's making more money than Aiden now. Right. And so, yeah, it does have... Like, while I do appreciate the portrayal of Aiden's anxiety, and I think it's an authentic portrayal, the source of it is very internal, and that's not always the case with anxiety like yes anxiety does spiral to the point that you are no longer acting rationally in response to something but a lot of the time especially with periods of extended anxiety you are reacting to an external stimuli it's just an it's just an unprompt like it's not a response that is appropriate in volume to what is yeah actually happening and there really wasn't that external stimuli that really made sense of like why why is aiden freaking the fuck out right there like when i'm freaking the fuck out usually i try to sit back and like detach myself from my feelings and go why am i freaking the fuck out like i already know i'm freaking the fuck out right i know my reaction may not be in exact response to what is going on but something is prompting this yeah there wasn't really the what is prompting this. No, there wasn't. It's just this internal which like he created a problem for himself, which yeah. I mean is a thing that people with anxiety do. Definitely a thing. But if it's going to be a conflict in a marriage, I feel like plot-wise, it needed a source. Yeah. Other than Brea wanting to have a kid. So that way cuz he also wanted to have a kid. He does. He wants to have a kid. Yeah. Like, yeah, but if there's going to be a if it's going to be the source of a conflict in a romance novel, she needed something it needed to, to do... not be completely on Aiden yeah, entirely. She needed something to do in this book other than to be basically completely right the whole time. Because then it it does read a little bit like the reason for the problem is Aiden's mental illness, which isn't yeah. fair. It's not fair in this kind of book. It definitely like not being able to handle anxiety or depression or any other sort of mental illness is a valid reason for a relationship to struggle. Yes. And ultimately, it is the person who has that mental illness's responsibility to deal with it. Yes, it sucks. I've lived it. So have I. Like, we, both, we both struggle with mental illness, yep. so we we do know what we're talking about. Yeah, I'm not just spouting <laughs> off. We are, we are a married couple with mental illnesses. Yeah, um, not just spouting off from a, a soapbox having never lived it, but like, you know, I... Not so much recently, but I have struggled with depression, and I am very acutely aware that it's nobody else's job but my own to deal with my depression. Like I have friends, I have friends who will help me. I am married to you, and you will help me. But if I had none of that, I would still need to deal with it. Yeah, just like when I was dealing with my acute anxiety, I was like, I need to deal with this, and so you know, therapy. Yeah, and you know, like it, it sucks. But, you know, you, you, what you owe other people with your mental illness is not harming them. You're not at fault because you have a mental, you're not at fault for your mental illness. No. You shouldn't apologize for having a mental illness. You, you are responsible for the harm that you cause with your response to your own mental illness. Right. It's, yeah. And I think that was. Once you do something, it's no longer yours alone. Right. And I think. When in all of the Aiden chapters, that specific sentiment comes across where he's very aware that like, it is not my fault that I have a mental illness. What is my fault is the way I've made Freya feel with my response to my mental illness. When you get outside of Aiden's head, no one else seems to say that. 
which I think is where the that's where my the Bergmans lack nuance. Yeah, as a family, Alex was the one that was kind of like, yeah, shit's hard sometimes. Yeah, and like you need to figure that out. It's not your fault that shit's hard. But it's still your shit to deal with. Yeah, you still need to figure it out. Yeah, which I appreciated because, like, a lot of times... It was a very nuanced take. And this is why we love Papa Merkin. A a lot of times when stuff like this gets written about, it's like, it's not your fault. You don't have to deal with it. But, like, that's just not how the world works. It's also a lot of the time when anxiety or mental illness is written into a book. It's like, ah, the relationship fixed it, and now they no longer have anxiety. Right. That is That is not a theme in this book, which is another reason why I appreciate, yeah. like, it's not necessarily, I'm not saying it's like a bad portrayal of anxiety representation. I think it's actually a good one. I think it's just a, it's very realistic that someone may not see that nuance of like, yeah, it's the fact that the Bergmans are not as a whole, very understanding of Aiden's anxiety is unfortunately a very, very realistic portrayal yeah. of someone surrounded or of the people who are surround someone with anxiety. Yeah. It, it happens all the time. Yep. So, yeah. but yeah. I do appreciate that their marriage being fixed doesn't just fix Aiden's anxiety. No. And the weird thing is like, it didn't feel like fixed, fixed at the end of this book. Like it didn't feel like the happiest of endings. No, and I also appreciate that about it. It's it's still a ha- yeah. it's not really a happily ever after, but it's 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 an ever after. It's yeah. just not happily, which is very realistic. Yeah, because it really it ends with them not with their problems resolved. They're not as like acute, but it ends with them kind of determined to overcome them. Which is the best response in or the best ending for a trope that I don't really like. Marriage and Trouble. Yeah. That is the ending that I would appreciate always in that trope. Yeah. Is whenever I read a marriage in crisis or even a relationship in crisis where they end up getting married at the end, like usually it's like fiancés and they're like, oh, Uh do we actually want to get married? Then they decide like, you know, on the last like 15 pages, like, yes, we're going to get married and everything's going to be happy and we're never going to have problems again. It's like, you realize... Legal just, documents solve everything. You realize that, like, marriage is a forever thing. Yeah. Unless you decide to get a divorce. Oh, or, you know, found a church and behead some people. Yeah, that too. But I guess that is kind of... That's not really divorce. Well, it is divorce, beheaded, died, divorce, beheaded, survived. Yeah, but the beheaded ones weren't divorced first, were they? Uh, I think were they, they were annulled. Some of them were annulled. I think Anne Boleyn was, an, was annulled before he beheaded her. Maybe I would make sense. I don't think given the whole Anne Boleyn thing. I don't think the second beheading they annulled that first. I think he was just pissed that she was quote unquote sleeping around, which I'm not sure I really believe. But you know, this is not a Henry VIII podcast. No, there's probably enough of those already. You know, for a guy who podcasts even as frequently as I do, I don't listen to any. I haven't in a while. I've been on the audiobook. Train. I yeah. did listen to a lot of podcasts when we lived in New York. I still didn't. I was that was when I was re-listening to the Wheel of Time, which was partially what prompted this podcast. Yeah. Now I'm listening to. I haven't yet made it to Secret Project Three because that just came out. Now I'm listening to Assassin's Apprentice. No, sure. I don't know. Whatever the second book in the the Farseer trilogy is. Sure. It's Robin Hood. It's good. It's much slower and more political than the fantasy I usually read, which is not bad. It's also in first person, though, which I'm not a huge fan of. I don't really like first person stuff. Have, you, have all of the romances I've had you read be first person? I, no, I don't think the witch one was. Huh. I wonder if that has anything to do with where it falls in the ranking. Like, now I'm curious. I'm obviously going to have you finish out the Bergman series, and the series will be finished by the time we get to the end of it. Yeah. So. Well, the Wheel of Time, big. Yeah. <laughs> And the next book, or the last book, Vigo's book, will be out next year, so. We're not going to be done with the Wheel of Time next year. No, we're not even going to be. We'll be halfway done. But we'll, we still have three more. <laughs> halfway done is seven books. We still have three more Bergman books before we even get to the seventh book. Yeah, we'll get there. This is not a podcast podcast, or right now a Wheel of Time podcast. Right now it is a Bergman, the book says sister podcast. Yeah, I mean, they called it the Bergman Brothers. There are two sisters. So on both of the sisters' books, they just cross out brother and put sister, which I appreciate. Let's talk about the fucking therapist. (laughs) 
<laughs> we've mentioned therapy. Oh. And I wish we had gotten to meet Aiden's therapist because... Do we meet her later? No. Him? I don't know who his therapist... We don't, we don't know who Aiden's therapist is, and I oh. wish we had met them. But the only therapist representation we have in this book is it's their some, weird-ass like, couples therapist. Like, hippie-ass couples therapist. She's wearing socks with sandals. Ugh. And then when they go in the first time, she's like, huh, you're both wearing sandals without socks. That's weird. Yeah, it's just... <laughs> ugh. Like, on a... On the side of me that like likes whimsy for the sake of whimsy, I I love I love it, I'm loving it. Like it definitely. But felt, like in terms of like actually liking the character, they like, like nah. They like walk in and then they there we don't spend a lot of time with the therapist, and so my hatred for her is far outsized compared to the number of pages with her. But all of the therapy stuff, it it, it happens twice. Yeah. They, they go once and we see we go they go once that we see before mm-hmm. vacation and they go after and when they show up before the, the one time we see it it's like all of this is Aiden's fault don't have sex now let's play twister yep and it's just like that is not a good therapist like it seems like it it seems like she's taking Freya's side I do wonder if because we only read that section in Aiden's point of view if if Chloe Lee is just being a good author. But Aiden doesn't seem like a super defensive type. But he's still in that moment of acute stress, and so he may not be perceiving things correctly. Maybe, but there's He's not... putting a lot of blame on himself. He is. And especially in those sections, he's like, this is my fault. So if it's not surprising that he might yeah. interpret his therapist's or their therapist's reaction to what's going on as confirmation yeah. that everything is his fault. It did not read that way to me. And that is not typically how Chloe Lee's writes. Like, she doesn't tend to write people completely misreading the world around them. I guess. I think I disagree a little bit. But I she'll, have read more. She, at least in the, the books that I read, she'll write how people are feeling about what's happening. Because it is first-person narration. It is, but it's it doesn't feel like... And, like, I'm trying a to good, remember. like, third of... Willow's plot in the first book is her misreading situations. Yeah, but not in a... She's misreading them, but we're not being misled by what she's experiencing. She's lacking information, not Mm. delusional. Like, she doesn't know that Ryder is deaf. So she's... We don't either in that chapter. So she's just reacting to what he's doing without knowing things. She's not reading into it even with information. And Aiden is not, it doesn't seem like he's necessarily reading into it. I'm not necessarily saying that he yeah. is reading into it, but it it's could be a combo yeah. of like, both this therapist is not necessarily doing a great job at being impartial. Yeah. Or is trying to do some weird therapy technique where she makes Aiden think it's all his fault to get him into gear, which is also not good therapy. Right. Like, Especially for somebody with anxiety. Yeah. No, the therapist's not great. Yeah. And then like, hey, don't have sex and your problem is physical intimacy. So I'm going to tell you not to have sex and then make you play Twister. I want to tell you two really contradictory things. Don't be physically close to each other until you sort out the other issues. And also play Twister. She says they can't have sex after they've played Twister. Still, whatever order it comes in. Yeah, it's it does make it slightly more comedic of like, hey, I'm going to have you play Twister. And then Freya leaves the room. It's like, oh, by the way, you can't have sex. It's like, you just riled us up with Twister. Yeah. And, now and she doesn't tell sex. both of them that. No, she just, she tells, just tells Aiden and that. And Aiden doesn't immediately tell Freya that either. It's like, come on, man. Yeah. But, but also like, I don't know if my therapist told me alone something. Like, if we went to couples therapy, because I guess we need it maybe at some point ever, and you leave, and then the therapist tells me something. Alone that impacts both of us. That both of us have to do. Yeah, I would definitely tell you, but also, like, what the fuck? You are not a good therapist, if that's... No, like, I like, mean, you part can't of, do that. Like, couples therapists do like to see each individual patient, patient separate. Yeah. In, in addition to it. And obviously anything that they would say to them alone doesn't have to be told to the other person. But like if it was a couples therapy session and one of them just walked out angrily and the information applies to both of them, 
It is an instruction. It's homework for both of them. You should tell both people. Yeah. Not rely on one of the people who clearly is being uncommunicative to then relay the homework to the other person. Right. It's just, it's not good. And then when they come back, she's like, you guys didn't fuck, but you kind of almost did. And why did you do that? By the way, you can have sex now if you want. Like, what the... She's just not good. She's not a good therapist. No, and that was really actually just their second session. Which, like, if... It would have been one thing if they had seen them, the therapist, several times in between. Yeah. And we just didn't see the therapy. It's like, I don't want to sit and yeah. read a book where and characters also, what, keep going to therapy. What couple's therapist on the first session is like, by the way, you guys can't have sex? I don't know. I've never been to couples therapy. I would not be surprised if that is actually the first instruction that couples therapists give to couples. Yeah, but I feel like, I don't know, it seems like a really weird thing to do after your, what, an hour? No, that sounds like a, it does not, it would not surprise me if that is the first instruction the couples therapists give is stop, stop with the emotionally vulnerable physical intimacy that you're using to distract yourself from having actual physical emotion uh, having like emotional intimacy with each other yeah i don't know i would have a hard time listening to that because like why should i trust you you we've you made me play twister for 30 minutes (laughs) you don't trust the therapist because she wears socks with her sandals also yes makes you play twister and that's fair if i'm walking into somebody's office and i'm paying them i don't know how much but probably a lot of money and they're wearing socks and sandals and Making me play Twister for 30 minutes. And, like, not even, like... Then this not even to... honest Twister. <laughs> no, she's cheating. She's cheating. And she's I don't like, know... oh, no, the spinner is broken. I'm going to make up things. And I don't know what rubs me more the wrong way. The cheating or the Twister itself. <laughs> but God damn it. If I'm going to pay you... It's your sense of justice. It's fine. A lot of money. <laughs> it's just not... To... To do that, you're not gonna you're not gonna get to tell me to play Twister in your socks and your sandals for thirty minutes, and then be like, "Oh, by the way, don't have sex." No. But someone out there would probably be very comforted by the socks and sandals and Twister. I only take sex advice from people who don't wear socks with their sandals. Thank you very much, and exclusively no one else. Okay. We have been derailed a little bit, but I had strong feelings about the therapist. (laughs) You did have strong feelings about the therapist. Yeah, overall, it was pretty good. It was pretty good. Like I said, I got a middle reaction out of me. More reaction than the third one, which I don't, or the second one, which I don't remember the titles. I don't really remember the titles of any of them, except for this one, because I'm literally looking at it right now. First one was Only When It's Us, and the second one was Always Only You. Yeah, see, I'm not going to remember that. I, I was struggling to yeah. get the words out in the right order. So it got more of a reaction out of me than the second one, which I think because, like, that one didn't have as many bits to grab onto for me. That's fair. Like, it, it, it wasn't bad. I mean, one of the main bits I grabbed onto was really identifying with Frankie and yeah. her uh, autism representation. Like, it's, like, I, it was the one of the first neurodivergent representations I'd ever read. Yeah. So, like... Even just seeing parts of my neurodivergency reflected. Yeah. And then I fell in love with Ren. If you yeah, I like I like I like the characters. And you did not fall in love with Ren. I did not. Uh, he is. He's not, not your type. No. And as we uh, determined at one of the weddings we went to, my type is apparently space poppy. Yeah. Uh, because You're Oscar <laughs> Isaac and Diego Luna, Diego Luna, Pedro and Pascal, Pedro Pascal, and like yeah, I, you know, space poppy, space poppy, a little bit. Um, and like David Tennant a little bit. He's, he's, he's space not, daddy. He's space daddy. Yeah. Which I am. I have a type, I guess. Space dad. Yeah. Um, anyway, I just didn't, I didn't grab on, like there were no like kind of rough bits to grab on on that for me. Yeah. Which like generally speaking is where I kind of fall off with romance because it's kind of all supposed to be as a genre, like sanded down, smooth, easy to consume. Yeah. Like, yeah. So I like it. And like, I don't. I, you know, I don't begrudge people that at all. People can read what they want to read for enjoyment within reason. Maybe don't read, like, hate speech for enjoyment. Right, yeah. That's that's not a good idea. But Things I, that are I generally groups of people. Right. I generally enjoy reading things that cause me to think. Yeah. And, and can, like, occupy a little bit of my brain. And this occupied more of my brain than the second one. Less of it than the first one, but I think that's just because I had a really strong reaction to Willa. Yeah. <laughs> 
That's fair. Um, Quality-wise, though, definitely I put this on the bottom. You know, worst out of three, but um, it, yeah, it, it is, was not bad. It is my least favorite of them. I think part of it is because it made me think more. So, like, while I still really enjoyed it and it is a really good book, it's not one of those books that I'm, like, recommending to people. That's fair. I tend to recommend, unless it's what... It, this would be a very specific recommendation if someone came to me and was like, I would really like to read something that has, like, a lot of grit and nuance mm. and, like, emotion to it. Yeah. This one. Yeah. If someone's like, I just want to read something light and fun and fluffy, fun and fluffy, then, like, not this one of the Bergman series. No. I would probably just recommend the Bergman series in its entirety. Yeah. But, like... Yeah. Overall, I liked this one pretty fine. We got to see... More of the Bergman siblings in this book. Yes. So I think we should talk a little bit about yeah, the ones they, we haven't seen. They, I definitely, they also featured a lot more prominently in this one than they had in the past two. Yeah. So since there's several Bergmans that you've let yet to read their stories, uh-huh. we should talk I, about them a little bit. I don't have very many opinions. The only one who we really spend any real amount of time, like, on page with is Axel, mm-hmm. um, who... Seems like a guy okay. that exists. Axel's is the next book, so it does sort of make sense. Of that... characters in books, he is one. Yeah. I, that is something I'm realizing that I really enjoy about the way Chloe Lee writes her books, is she does set up seeing the next character slightly more. Yeah. and Like, I... we see Aiden a lot more in the second book, because it sets up, at, at least at the end, we yeah. see more of Aiden and Freya. And this one, we see a little bit more of Axel. Axel's... Yeah. The next book. Yeah. There is a moment in Axel's book where we get to, I believe we get to see Oliver more. If I'm if I'm remembering plot-wise, I don't want to spoil anything, but Oliver shows back up for an sure. extended period of time. And so we get some one-on-one Axel and Oliver time. Oliver is the book after Axel's. Yeah. And that, that I definitely also think is driving some of my enjoyment of this series. Where, like, I like, I like world building and... You know, this is not super in-depth world building, but it exists. It's character world building. It is. It's... And even then, I would still not call it super in-depth. But again, I read books that are twice as long. <laughs> so. For for a book of its length. Then. Yeah, for a book of its length, it's pretty solid. Um, and it's just pretty solid in general. Um, especially when, like, you know, that's generally not the focus of these books. Yeah. Um, but, I, you know, what is there, I think sets the stage better and so each time you read the books you read a new one you get more of the picture and not you don't start a whole new picture from scratch you get a deeper understanding of the picture yeah that is being set up in the very first book too which i appreciate i like that obviously i read long fantasy series you do i specifically picked out the book series that i'm reading one because a senior vice president at my work recommended it to me i'm not going to turn that recommendation down but two, because it's like a long, it's like a nine book long, long epic fantasy series. Yep. So like, yeah, that's my jam. You, you do read that when I was getting a brunch with a friend of mine. And I said that you read, like to read long epic fantasy series. She immediately was like, is she a fan of, or is he a fan of Brandon Sanderson? Yup. It's like, yes, <laughs> you hit the nail right on the head. Yep. Although I did come to it late for fantasy readers. You did. Because I, I did, I had read his Wheel of Time stuff and then I didn't touch the Cosmere until two years ago. It was after your Three more recent reread. Yeah, I, I read The Wheel of Time, and then I read The Magicians, or listened to, whatever. Read. And then I started on Elantris. Audiobooks are reading. Audiobooks are not reading. Audiobooks but they, are reading. But they are consuming a book. It's the same thing. They are incredibly similar things. But one is listening and one is reading. It's the same thing. But anyway. Yeah, I call it reading, whatever. Um, yeah, so like I, I didn't really start on the Cosmere until... I think 2020. I think I started it right before the pandemic. I think so. That sounds familiar. And then, like, of course, I fell in love with it because everything Brandon Sanderson does is, like, designed to be something like somebody like me would love. Yeah. But that's neither here nor there. You are in the Brandon Sando fan club. Oh, yeah. He is kind of my god now. (laughs) He's your god, too, a little bit. Never have I ever wanted to be a middle-aged cishet white Mormon man. Nope. And yet, if I could write at the speed oh boy. at which he does. It's a lot. You know how many romance novels I'd put out? He wrote a million words in one year, and that was just the secret projects. Yep. 
Now, I don't think he's doing that again anytime soon. Or that was just the secret projects and the two that we know he was writing. He could have written more that we don't know about. He wrote five secret project books and is only publishing four of them. He wrote a million words. That is so many romance novels. Like I said, I don't think that's happening again because at least I really hope that's not happening again. That would be like ten of these. Yeah, because each book is About 100k. Yeah, that that's about half of one of his books. Yeah, and these uh, were gesturing at the Chloe Lee's book that is still sitting in front of us. For yeah, those of you who are not. That's not even counting room. the fucking Stormlight books. That is counting the Stormlight books. He wrote like. Well, I, I each like each Stormlight book is like four of those. The man is insane. Yeah, it's pretty nuts. Is there anything else we needed to cover with this book? We're kind of rambling. We're getting back into it. It's yeah. been. Like a month and a half since we recorded anything. Uh, Vigo and all of his romance novel. That does show up. He tells, uh, what's his face, Aiden to read one. Yeah. And he does. And then he like references it. And he's like, why aren't more people reading these? These are great. (laughs) (laughs) And we do get the uh, hysterical line from Axel about book boners. Because Axel apparently also is reading romance novels, which you don't expect from him. (laughs) No. He's like, yeah, I mean, you keep leaving them at my house. I'm going to read them. (laughs) (laughs) To be fair, the impression I got from Axel in this book was you don't really expect anything. Like, you could, you kind of expect him to be like that one John Mulaney bit where he's just in a room with a box of saltines. (laughs) (laughs) Like, that's, that's the impression I get from Axel, where he's just kind of total blank slate. That is so accurate. I love that. <laughs> Yay. I love Axel. <laughs> you just don't expect anything from him, and then you, you'll get to meet him in the next book, and it's great. I would hope so, if he's an integral part of it. Yeah. Yeah, the romance novels show up. There's a psychotic therapist. Yeah, she's not really psychotic. That's that's a little harsh. She's not good at her job, though. She's a little eccentric. A little bit. There's a foul-mouthed parrot. Yeah. Freya needed something better just to make it not seem like the whole thing was Aiden's fault and like it was his fault for just having anxiety. Yeah. Yeah. Got a reaction out of it, clearly. Talked about it for an hour and I wasn't Mm -hmm. really grasping at straws or anything. For the most part. I always do somewhat. Yeah, that's fair. Chronic straw grasper for me. Just like noted car enthusiast. Yes, noted car enthusiast, Will Smith. Yep. So, uh, that's a really only recurring segment for these episodes is favorite moments yeah what's your favorite moment um hard to say i think i, I want to say we didn't really talk about this but i want to say the the like impromptu concert that they did there was like a karaoke night or oh something, yeah like an open and mic performed. Night. yeah that was that was fun it, it felt a little over the top but not in a bad way i'll go with that i think for me it was the bergman brothers taking Aiden out for like their brother day when they were all on vacation. And it was like, which we also didn't really talk about. They, no, they kind of take Aiden twice. They kidnap him. Yes. The first time, the second time he at least has forewarning that, Hey, you're spending the day with us. Yeah. And they were all basically like, you married Freya. That means you're our brother too. Like we love yeah. you. And it was something that never really occurred to him. And it was just a Yeah, that bit was nice. They should have stuck with that type of thing instead of putting a sack over his head and kidnapping him. (laughs) Jesus Christ. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so I I think I'll stick with my favorite moment, though. And then we've sort of talked about where it falls in the ranking of various novels. Yeah, I think so far my rankings are... From top to bottom. From top to bottom in terms of quality. Enjoyment is a different thing, and, and it's a it's a weird thing for me with romance book because like there are lots of bits of romance books that I don't really like. Um, quality wise, I think Red, White, and Royal Blue is still up top. Um, but see now, like with enjoyment, that probably would have sunk a lot further down just because like I you know I think I kind of had to get dunked in the trope tank in order to enjoy it more. Yeah. But quality wise, I think it's at the top. Uh, then I think it's. The first book in this series, I think it's one, two, three, and then the last one is the witch book. Quality wise, so. enjoyment wise, enjoyment wise, I don't know <laughs> because strength of reaction is not necessarily strength of enjoyment. <laughs> if we're just going by strength of reaction, it's book one, book three, and then red, white, and royal blue, and then book two, and then the witch book. Okay, very different. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Um, which is why I prefer quality. Just because, like, I don't, I don't know if I liked this book. That's fair. It's not like the Dune movie where, like, I got out of it and I was just kind of stunned by how good it was. So I didn't really know. Yeah. But now I know that I love that movie and not just because Oscar Isaac is in it. Yeah. This book I came out with and I was like, I don't know if I liked that. But it got a reaction out of me. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah. Let's stick with those rankings, though. I think for me... At least with these series, Red, Red, and Royal Blue, obviously, we know where that lies. Yeah. And in this series, in terms of my favorites, I think it's two, one, three. So Yeah, makes sense. Ren and Frankie, Willa and Ryder. Yeah. And Ray and Naden. Yeah. We have not read the rest of them, and there's one that I still have not read yet. I'm very excited for it, though. It's going uh, be good. So. The one that's not out yet? No, the one that just came out, If Only You. Okay. It's Ziggy's book. Jesus Christ. Chloe Lee needs to come up with some new words. <laughs> well, I mean, if you've noticed. It's always three words. It's always three words and it's, or it's not always three words. It's always a phrase that they end up saying to each other mm. in like that last bit where they're. I don't it. like that. <laughs> I know. but I don't Titles like are hard. I know titles are hard. I suck at coming up with titles. I didn't come up with the title. I'm good at it. <laughs> you are really good at it, which is why you're going to be my title person. Because I can't... I didn't come up with the title for Queried Sick. That was not me. No. I came up with the title for my next one, but then you came up with the titles for the two and three in that series. Yep. So. And like, quick. Yeah. And the premises. Yep. You're strangely good at coming I, up with I romance novel ideas. I have a talent. And that talent is not writing, <laughs> but is instead romance novel premises. <laughs> so. Yeah. This was Ever After Always. Got the name right. In one week, we will be starting season six, Lord of Chaos. Yeah. A little bit we shorter. We started reading it. We started reading it and then <laughs> a car broke down. <laughs> a car broke down. <laughs> On the highway. It's so, a whole time. Yeah. That'll be in a week. Yeah. And then we'll probably be back to our normal two-week schedule. At least for Lord of Chaos. We're yeah. still settling into the house and all sorts of stuff's going on. Yeah. Anyway, this was Ever After Always, the third book in the Bergman Brothers series. And we will be picking back up with The Wheel of Time, Lord of Chaos. Bye. Bye.